do we have free will? And so the first thing I want to address with this question is the, the worldviews and the presuppositions which would accept the idea or concept of us having free will and the worldviews and presuppositions that go along with those worldviews that would absolutely deny the, the uh, concept or principle of free will. Um, so right off the bat, the, fir- the two big ones that come up uh, and which is funny because they're the two most widely held worldviews in the Western world. And that is the, the uh, what I would call the mechanistic materialistic worldview, which is basically mainstream, the, the worldview held by mainstream science, and the Western religion worldview, uh, which is interesting because on this particular right. question, they're opposed, absolutely opposites, you know, whereas in with, with Western religion, hmm. that is one of the fundamental principles is that you are endowed with free will, that um, God right, like it's created a man, right, but he, but gave it to me, <laughs> gave him that free will. Um, so in Western mm-hmm. religion, it is an absolute yes, there is free will. However, if you look at uh, mechanistic materialism, uh, the fully automatic uh, model of the world, where all, where mind is the result, and, I, and, I'll, and I'll combine mind and consciousness. Mind and consciousness are merely the result of chemical reactions in the brain. Now, there's, a, there's actually a huge problem with that presupposition. And, and I'm leaving out philosophies, because if you incorporate many different Western philosophies, mind consciousness it, uh, does, does come out of that uh, hole that mechanistic materialism places it in, where it's nothing more than chemical reactions. And here's the problem with that worldview. If mind and consciousness are merely the result of chemical reactions, well, then you can't hold anybody responsible or liable for, or accountable for anything they do because they are merely the result of chemical reactions. Everything, right? How can you hold someone responsible or accountable to breaking the law if really they have no free will? It was some chemical reaction fired in their head and the the action just happened right so i feel like that's one of the biggest problems and not necessarily like i'm trying to prove it true or false right now but let's look at like what's workable in the world and if we adopt the purely you know fully automatic model of the universe that your your mind and your consciousness are merely the result of chemical reactions well then you can't hold anyone accountable for their actions because they're not accountable for their actions. They're not responsible for their actions. It's some chemical process that fired the action. So at some point... And that would assume that you could inject a specific chemical reaction and get a specific result back. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Yeah. If that's all... Which would if, give anybody else a control over an individual. Yeah. yeah. And to some extent, 
in that fully automatic model of the universe, there is that suggestion. I mean, that's what why the pharmaceutical industry is so big is that, oh, we'll feed you some chemicals to, to offset that chemical imbalance you have so that you act right, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I'm not saying all <laughs> pharmaceuticals do that, but that's, I mean, that's a big part of the marketing of many modern pharmaceuticals. It's like, oh, them. look, you, you don't feel right. You don't act right. Oh, well, here's some chemicals that'll make things fire differently in your head so you feel right and you act right. And But again, that may That's be... what they do with depression, yep. ADHD. Yep. All those things are behavioral issues that they try to correct with specific chemical cocktails. Exactly. And uh, might not yeah. be the most effective way of approaching things. <laughs> it may be more effective to presume and assume that the mind and the consciousness and therefore actions are more than just the happenstance of some chemicals reacting together. And if they are, well, then now we can hold people accountable. We can, people can take responsibility and not just say, well, it was the chemicals in my head that made me do it, you know? Um, so I think that there's a huge flaw in the fully automatic model the mechanistic materialistic worldview of consciousness in that it doesn't allow for personal responsibility or accountability. And now uh, if you take a look at the religious point of view, that's why in the Western religion, why people are able to be held accountable because they were given free will. So you have free will in the ideology of, of Western religion. So therefore you are absolutely accountable and responsible for anything and everything you do. So the presupposition is in the Western religion worldview is that you are responsible for your actions. You know, um, not the devil made you do it, not that God made you do it. You have absolutely free will. So we have those two opposing sets of worldview and presuppositions and, uh, and then again, if you incorporate some of the concepts of philosophy, well, then you can maybe even uh, create uh, an amalgamation of philosophies and science here. That is what, I, and where I'd like to go with the conversation is what is the most effective and workable set of presuppositions and worldview around free will? And then from there, you know, kind of construct a worldview. I think uh, one of the big things about worldview and people's presuppositions is there's, a, there's an unawareness. There's a, a disconnect from what you, how you interpret the world, you know, what fundamental presuppositions that you're not even conscious of, right? Um, and the funny thing is, even though many people are very much attached to the mechanistic, materialistic worldview of modern uh, and I'll say mainstream science because there is science outside of mainstream science that can lend some validation and to the concepts of mind and consciousness. However, mainstream science it does not allow for it because it says that the mind itself is just the, the result of chemical reactions. It's the result of the brain, that there is no separation between the mind and the brain. And for eons, Western philosophy has made a distinct 
separation between brain and mind, many philosophies. Um, so, and even there's some more, uh, I'll, I'll call them more modern philosophical concepts like panpsychism, which I, I find uh, intriguing and absolutely... Uh, what is that? Panpsychism is that consciousness is a part of everything, not just human beings. So we have an experience of consciousness. And in fact, our experiences themselves are a product of consciousness. Um, and it's saying that there's this, that there's consciousness to everything, that consciousness is kind of like a fundamental element um, or uh, uh, intrinsic uh, aspect to everything. So there's... Uh, and how do they define consciousness? Uh, in that particular philosophy, I'm not certain. <laughs> but what I would say okay. a common definition that we can probably apply here is uh, is experience, right? Um, so if okay. if there is an ex- if there is experience, then there is consciousness, and of course we can we can scientifically establish and prove through instrumentation and things like that that animals experience right that they have experience that um that you can stimulate an animal in different ways to have it react in different ways so therefore there's it's having experience of the stimulation whether it's like you know locking them up in a cage or putting electricity to them this sounds really i don't i'm not a scientist i don't uh, don't actually perform these types of experiments on animals, but it's really any, I mean, even if you show them the color red and you've got, you know, electrodes hooked up to the brain and certain parts of their brain light up when you show them red, certain parts of their brain light up when you show them blue, that's, they're having an experience of red. They're having an experience of blue. And, uh, but then it really with panpsychism, um, not only is it animals because it's easy for us to project consciousness on animals because they have eyes and they walk around and they eat. They're similar to us. So it's not a, it's not a, a stretch or far fetched mm-hmm. to Easily superimpose. Related. Yeah. To superimpose consciousness on an animal. However, panpsychism would say, well, plants also uh, have consciousness and fox and 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 maybe it's there's layers of consciousness so you could say yeah an individual rock is a form of consciousness and in fact that may be the nature of the rock is that there is rock consciousness and then there's physical rock but then you can also say that a planet has consciousness or that a star or solar system has a consciousness or that a galaxy has a consciousness and so it's, you know, layers of consciousness within layers of consciousness. In fact, you could even break down your own physical being that way as well and say, well, each atom has a, a consciousness and each molecule and each cell um, has, is a form of consciousness. Right? So, so yes, we do. And, and again, if you look at a cell, it, it interacts and reacts with its environment. So if experience which is what's stimulating its reaction to the environment is consciousness or a part of consciousness or an aspect of consciousness. Well then, yeah, you could probably, it's probably not far fetched to presume that a cell 
as consciousness. So, uh, in that sense, we could take Western philosophy, um, some some of the principles and concepts of Western philosophy, and something. And I mean, not that we're excluding religion, but you don't necessarily have to uh, be married to or prescribed to a particular religion in order to suggest that we have free will. Um, but the, really, the one thing here that we that I feel like you have to cut out of the equation for it to be a workable model. So again, I'm not saying it's false. I'm not saying that the mechanistic materialistic worldview that there, that the mind and the consciousness is purely chemical reactions. I'm just saying it's not very workable as far as, okay, well, we need to coexist. And if we're going to coexist, it's, a more workable model is one that presumes that people are responsible and accountable for their act. What do you think? I guess the first direction that I would go in addressing the question is what do we mean by free will? Like I would draw a distinction or create a definition around free will and say, that's the, you know, the choice to think the way I want to think or to act the way I want to act, or to feel the way I want to feel. And I, I don't think that Western culture is aligned in, in any one specific way around this, this topic, this question. And here's an example. So oftentimes you'll hear people place blame on somebody for saying, you made me feel a certain way. Right. You made me feel disappointed. You made me feel upset. You made me feel some kind of way. Mm-hmm. And in that sense, no, they don't necessarily have free will in the situation. However, there's an entirely other perspective and a, and a train of thought in, in Western culture, which is you know, whatever happens within me is my responsibility. I choose to respond right. to situations. I choose to take responsibility. I choose to X, Y, and Z. And in that way, you could say, yes, you have free will. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's, it turns into a chicken or the egg conversation, at least in, in this society, where you go another step further. Okay, well, the conditions of your past, your individual history, allowed you to know that that was a choice. Right. Okay, well, then who created my environment and my experiences? Again, could be me choosing to be in a specific environment <laughs> and choosing the choices I did. You know, so it's ultimately I feel that the a lot of people are divided where even if they do subscribe to, you know, say Christianity, where they do believe fundamentally, um, spiritually, they have free will. But you will see some of those people talking about someone made them feel a certain way or I got fired. I had no choice in the matter or something. And so that's, that's to compromise on that belief system. So at at the very beginning, I would say, who is it that you're talking about that has free will and to what extent we're talking about, do we all have a hundred percent free will and we define who we are, <laughs> I think we can get a little closer to answering that question and examining whether or not that's accurate. 
yeah, definitely and, experience yeah, a think, free will or not. Yeah, and I think that's a an excellent point to address in this conversation because that's actually prevalent in right now in our culture, in our society, there is a what I'll call a victim mentality where people are offended by something and it's because of what you did or you said. I have no choice. I have no free will in feeling or experiencing being offended. Is that, is that so? Um, so let's look at it. Let's break it down in a basic level. So an individual, let's say someone utters a particular phrase. I would be willing to bet that it depends on who utters that phrase as to how you react to it, right? <laughs> like, think about it. Did I ever if, tell you like, the, uh, the Sad Guru did a little thing on that? Who? There's this guy uh, in India. His name is Sad Guru, S-A-D-G-U-R-U. Okay. And it's, it's just a two-minute video. Uh, I think it's called the, you know, the true truest form of slavery or something like that. But he, yeah. he gets up on stage and he goes, okay, everybody, can you see me? Can you see me? Point to me if you can see me. And they all point up on stage where he's standing. And he's like, no, nah, you got it wrong. You got it wrong. I'm not, you know, you're, you're watching the light fall upon me and reflect and your eyes are and taking it and twisting the image upside down and interpreting the signals and you're creating the image in your head. So you're really, everybody is seeing me within your head, right? Within yourself. So can you all so, hear me? So can you so point the to the right answer the to point, point like this? <laughs> I don't think. <laughs> I, I, his point was pretty, pretty fantastic. Because <clears throat> at the very end, he said, you're seeing me within yourself. You're hearing me within yourself. Have you ever had an experience outside of yourself? No, you haven't. Every single thing, every sense that you have feeds internally for you to create an experience about. And he's like, who should dictate what happens within yourself? Somebody else? Because that's the truest form of slavery. Absolutely. Interesting. I like that. I like that take and I, yeah. and I could get behind it, you know, because interpretation is internal. <laughs> so, and I, and I think it speaks right into the, well, you've said something that offended me or you've done something that hurt me. And so it's like, okay, we got to really like look at the nuances of these claims because yes, you can physically hurt someone, Right. You can walk up to someone, smack them in the face, and they can point the finger back at you and say, you hurt me, right? And so there, is, there, is there personal responsibility in that? Well, we can really, again, we could really dive into that situation and see what occurred leading up to the slap. And, and, you know, and, and then you can make the <laughs> assessment, the, have the opinion or have a judgment that, oh, yeah, you had it coming. <laughs> right. But, and then, and then there is at some, at, at some level, there's, there's responsibility in that, you know, there is accountability. They didn't just randomly out of nowhere, walk up to you and slap you in the face. So, so again, it, it's looking <laughs> even at that, if they but did. it's, 
Right. It's, you got to look at, you know, where is, where do we draw that line of accountability and responsibility? And in your question and the way that you are folding this in with this conversation about free will, because there are many people who believe and act under the presupposition that if I'm feeling a certain way and you just did something, what you did made me feel that way which is suggesting again it's it's really it's it's falling into that mechanistic materialistic right worldview that you have no accountability or responsibility for how you feel it's just chemical reactions happening in your head and because you took a certain action and the and you caused that action caused mm-hmm. certain chemicals to react in my head well then yeah i'm not responsible for how i'm feeling and yet Trigger we know that through Right. But we know through practice, right. And through discipline and through like things like meditation, you can have a direct effect on your response to circumstances and conditions. Like, uh, through the practice of, of, of meditation. Like that doesn't already happen. Right. Through, through meditation. Even without the practices. Right. Really, that's what's going on. Like, mm-hmm. if someone were to walk up and say, "Hey, you're you're a fat asshole," and you're like, "Take fence, I'm having this experience now. That guy caused me to feel this way." But say he ran up to you and, and yelled it at you in, in in Japanese or something. Would you have taken it offense? <laughs> well, he meant no, the same thing. Understand it, but, right, but he because he you don't it. associate specific meanings with those words. that you know that comes into the interpretation of the representation you know meaning words right and that is like the the meaning you give anything right like let's say it's nonverbal. let's say someone is acting a certain way you know makes certain physical gestures you are giving that meaning and the meaning you give that person's gestures will dictate your experience of those gestures, right? Like, you know, somebody does that. Somebody holds up a middle finger to you. In some countries, that means nothing. So it's like, okay, they're holding up a finger to me. So they haven't, the <laughs> meaning, like, they've, uh... right? Yeah, the meaning they've given that gesture doesn't offend. They have, but that's just it. There is no inherent meaning in anything. Oh, well, let's, is it, is there, I should say, I'm going to ask the question, is there inherent meaning in anything, yeah. right? Is, is anything we say, does it have any inherent meaning or do we subjectively apply meaning to what people say? Like you said, you just used the word fat. Like if I walk up and I say, oh man, that's fat. Somebody might say, oh, you know, F you, that, I, that ain't fat. You know, that's my dog, you know? And, <laughs> but it's again, that meaning, the, that word is being interpreted from different, it's been Some given a different people might be like, meaning. oh, thanks, man. Exactly, exactly. And uh, so it's the meaning, right? It's the meaning we apply. And I get the question of, is there inherent meaning? Meaning, does anything have meaning built in? Or is meaning subjective? It's just something we apply. Now, and, and I'm not, and I don't want mean to suggest that everything is completely meaningless, throw everything away. Because as, again, what's workable 
as a society is that we do agree on, you know, acceptable behaviors, um, re- uh, 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 an acceptable range of meaning, right? Uh, and, th- and then it's... Well, what, so the fact those is, principles are important. meaning exists. We're just identifying its source, where it comes from. The or- right. origin of meaning is not inherent with everything. In in my right. experience, my opinion, right, it right. is no, because something we, that. Well, our meaning yeah. is Go translated ahead. through our language. We invented language, so we invented the words. So all all we have to give something meaning is the thoughts and language we use to interpret or to express the meaning. So yes, meaning we create. We create it through symbols. Such and as that's all types words, of language. Thoughts. That's Absolutely. verbal language. That's sign language. That's body, body language. language. Yep. That's energetic language and impression. That's that's all the language. Absolutely, because in some cultures, their 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 practice is to get right up in someone's face when they're talking to them, and it's the you know like a sign of respect. And because <laughs> that's been a part of their culture for generations, and they have that as part of it they don't feel, they don't give that experience any negative connotation or meaning, right? If somebody walks right up in your face, that's perfectly acceptable. But in the Western world, somebody gets right up in your face. That's aggression. Yeah, that's aggression. And it's like, you know, you've (laughs) given that. I mean, you don't even have to be thinking about it. You don't have to have a conscious thought. Yeah, well, (laughs) you immediately react. You immediately react because of your worldview, which is made up of your presuppositions and your beliefs and your experiences in your culture all feed into that worldview. So if somebody gets right up in your face, you don't have to think about what, whether or not this person is being aggressive, whether or not this person is invading your space, whether or not you don't have to have a single thought about any of that. You will have an immediate reaction, right? And, ooh. and you'll notice that even... In every individual have a different reaction to that same scenario. Right. Like you get up and in my face, I, I'll be confused. I'm like, what, what's <laughs> going on? I don't get it. Right. <laughs> and other right. people, they'll say go for a headbutt. Other people right. will be apologetic. Everyone will have their own reaction to whatever they think that means. Someone's right. upset, someone's respectful, someone's happy, someone's whatever. Right. So uh, someone here online has... Uh, also made the statement, intent is often behind meaning, much like context behind a phrase. What do you think about that, Jinji? Intent behind the meaning. Say that one more time. No, no, no. Intent is often behind the meaning, much like context behind a phrase. So, for instance, and, and, and it, let, let's dissect this and see what, what's being said here. So, intent behind a meaning. So, again, if there's no inherent meaning in anything, right, and there's a gesture. Let's go back to the example of the gesture. Like, you and I were longtime friends, yeah. right? Right? So, if I were to flip you the bird, how are you going to react? <laughs> Seeing as how we have multiple definitions for that, <laughs> well, <laughs> I probably would laugh. Go. So, 
Right, exactly. So there, there's an intent because also I have, when I do it, because of the nature of our relationship, there's no malintent, right? I'm messing with you. Yeah. I'm joking with you. And so the intent behind- Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it may not be endearing to anyone else, but between you and I, right, there's an intent behind the gesture, which you and I gave a meaning of like, oh, they're playing. Someone outside of us who doesn't know us, doesn't know the nature of our relationship, they may apply a completely different meaning. And again, they're speaking as about the context so, of a phrase. And I would say let me ask beyond this. the context of a phrase, the context of a gesture, the context of any circumstance and condition helps mm -hmm. to define and uh, uh, changes or uh, influences the meaning that we apply to it. Absolutely. So when, when we talk about... Um I would say it one more time. The the intent is often behind the meaning. Yes. Intent behind the meaning. And so that would like, mean that and again, my there's a, there's intent. A, hold on. There's a comparison. Okay. okay. So there, it's like an analogy. So intent is often behind the meaning, much like context behind a phrase. So just diving into the first half of that. Um the intent behind the meaning to me implies that the intent that I hold behind whatever action I'm taking, verbal, nonverbal, whatever the communication is, mm -hmm. helps define the meaning that I give it. So if right. I'm intending right. well, to make you it, smile or to give exactly. you a compliment, I may do something and think that what I'm doing is the meaning. The meaning of this is right. you know, joking or enduring, or whatever it is. However, on the, on the receiving end of that, I will yeah, it's wonder not necessarily going to be interpreted that intent, way. <laughs> <laughs> I would wonder if the intent behind the meaning that I'm giving will translate to the meaning and the intent that they assume I had. Because right. oftentimes in conversation, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll double check with people. What did you mean when you said that? Or why did you say that? What was your motivation? Because I'm looking to get behind the act itself. And right. oftentimes what I'll find is like, oh, that was way, that was way up. Way Here off. I am right. thinking that you're trying to pay me a compliment or something, but your intent was to offend. And here right. I am oblivious, more so curious as to what the motivation or intent was behind it. So I, if I look at that and compare it to the context behind... Uh, what is it? The language, the context of a phrase, of a phrase. Um, I mean, I, I would think the that context the context of a phrase would X. be about the same, right? Right. Because you could communicate in a specific context, which right. I don't necessarily know if the context will remain the exact it's not, same. It will, or that the other person is experiencing through the same context. Exactly. Because that's experientially, the experience is not necessarily happening for the same for each individual. So like you said, you took what someone said as a compliment because the context of that situation, you were interpreting it as a friendly situation. However, 
<laughs> they were interpreting it another way. So when they made the comment with the intent of offending you, you didn't take it that way. And I think you really touched on something that I feel is so absolutely essential to a workable society is asking the question, where'd you go? Uh, is asking the question whether or not someone has a certain intention or not. So lost Gingy there for a second, so I assume he'll be reconnecting shortly. Um, but that that's definitely something to consider and address is defining the, the, the context, asking the intent instead of presuming and assuming we know the meaning. Um, I feel like that would be workable as far as uh, in relationships, uh, in partnerships, in whether it be at work or at home in your, in your personal relationships or even in professional relationships and friendships that so often, especially in relationships where we are connected to or close with uh, people, we automatically have presumptions and assumptions about the meaning of their actions, the meaning of their words. And so often it isn't the case. And, it, and just to be mindful in, in those moments, especially if you're reacting negatively, if you're experience, having an experience of a negative reaction, meaning like you're feeling tension or you're feeling stress or you're feeling hurt or you're feeling mad or sad, whatever, um, to really stop in that moment being mindful that, okay, I'm reacting to this in this way because I Yo. have given it this meaning and their intent wasn't necessarily that meaning. You've missed quite a bit, but what the hell? What's up with your internet, man? <laughs> Um, I, I have so no I idea just, what happened. <laughs> okay, so I, I just uh, went on a little uh, a little trip on the importance and the significance of 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 actually clarifying um, someone's intent. You know, so like like if you have a negative experience, right? When someone acts a certain way or says a certain thing or whatever especially with those we're closest to, because we have a tendency with people who we're close with, people we're in close relationship with, or people in our family or things like that, we project, we automatically presume we know the meaning of their action or of their language. I or call whatever it a sign else. and define. Right. And, and being, rather than re reacting immediately and, you know, on the meaning you've already projected on the act or the words, stepping back and being mindful of, okay, I'm reacting. I'm feeling mad, sad, you know, stressed, uh, anxiety, whatever, because of the meaning I'm giving this phrase or this, this uh, action or whatever. Let me step back, erase my meaning and my interpretation of the context here and ask, actually communicate with this person from a place of neutrality, because if you're still stuck in there being an asshole and you, you go forward and, you know, uh, launch into them, like, what do you mean by that? 
you know, you're not going to get, <laughs> you're not going to get a very positive reaction. <laughs> and, and it may be, and even if they didn't have malintent, your reaction has now taken it to another level. So it may actually <laughs> they might perpetuate have something that wasn't there before. Yeah, exactly. Okay. That's so funny. Person A has an intent to make person B smile with meaning. He can transfer that information. Person B then analyzes the meaning and comes up with an intent, consciously or unconsciously, most of the times unconscious. That is why a stand-up comedian saying a joke with a twist in the end is like a slap. That's interesting because even a twist in a movie or a twist in a book. Mm. Um, man, I've been fired up uh, by books and movies and, and comedians, like usually in a pretty positive way. I don't usually... There aren't very many comedians. Well, again, I'm watching the comedians who are doing content that I'm interested in and entertained by. I avoid comedians that are doing the type of material that I'm just like, oh, that's lame or that's cheap or that's, you know, whatever. So I'm already drawn in by comedians that already are performing in a way that I'm entertained by. Um, But there it is, right? So they're, they're both the twist in a movie, the twist in a book, or the twist in a joke are playing on, right? The presumptions and assumptions of your culture and society. Like you already have a feeling it's going somewhere and that it's going to end a certain way, you know, like, do you ever see even to the point of creating unconscious expectations of this is what's going to happen. You'll even hear people in the movie. Oh, I bet that means this can happen. This and they'll right. they'll attach and align to a specific outcome, and when it doesn't happen, it interrupts them and catches them off guard, and they go, "Oh!" Right. <laughs> and that's where the laughing <laughs> comes from. It's like a right. discharge of the built-up energy, <laughs> right? Right, right, yeah. And that's actually uh, like I mean, I've like I said, I remember I read a book. Ah, I think it was John Grisham. Did he write The Partner? I think it was a John Grisham and it was called the Partner. I don't know. And it has this twist at the end that like, I mean, I was at the point where I wanted to throw this book through the window. I'm like, what? What? Like, <laughs> what? And like, like there was all these emotions, like, like anger, frustration, like how can this be? Right. And then I sat back and because the, the initial reaction, you know, of, uh, to that twist, right. And the meaning I gave it, like it created frustration within me. Right. But after I got over it <laughs> and, and, and like, you know, calmed down a little bit, I was like, Oh my God, that's one of the best books I've ever read that or not, not one of the best books I've ever read. That is one of the Brilliant. best endings to a book I've ever read. Like I, I went from a place of frustration to absolute, uh, appreciation. Like, wow, that the emotions <laughs> that that ending of a book just stirred up in me, that was incredible. And again, I think that's the mark of a great comedian that can, you know, stir up that thing or the, a great story, right? Cause it doesn't even necessarily have to have a twist. Yeah. It's just the, the, the meaning that that 
culturally speaking, based on our presuppositions as a society and the worldview that we have in common, that people are going to react in a certain way. And so you could structure a story or a song or whatever in a certain way that it's going to get a fairly consistent reaction, but not absolute. Like, have you ever been watching a movie and Never, something absolutely. happens and you start cracking up at the person next to you? You know, like, why, why do you Whoa. think that's funny? <laughs> yeah. Like, and then you try to explain it and they're like, no, 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 I get it. <laughs> why do you think it's so funny? No, you know? oftentimes, oftentimes I'm the guy <clears throat> watching a scary movie and everyone else goes, ah, and I'm like, eh, <laughs> and I'm laughing my butt off. <laughs> And whatever just happened and everybody else is terrified but right. it's, it's almost as if i i lack the ability to fear now i know that's not true because i can fear some totally irrelevant shit but right. to be genuinely afraid for like for my life of something i don't i don't know that i've ever had that experience right yeah, and that, and I guess Actually, it depends on... Actually, curiously enough, there's a, there's a buddy of mine who was talking about how certain people they are born with or either... He, he talked about it as layers, like solidifying layers. But some people, they don't experience certain emotions. Like, he, he was like, hey, I bet you're just like me. Do you ever get angry? I'm like... Well, you know, I kind of feel anger around this and this and this, like, you know, rush hour traffic. <laughs> and he's like, <laughs> is that anger or frustration? I'm like, well, yeah, I guess that's, that's, that's more frustration. He's like, have you ever been actually angry? I was like, actually, now you think, now you say it like that. I'm like, I've never been angry, angry. I've just gotten <laughs> so frustrated that my body tenses up and I might shake and I might be cussing and stuff. But as soon as that frustration is relieved, it's gone. Like, that's not, that's not true anger. And so well, is it, this ties well, right now, back now, in with on, the conversation about, okay. You're, 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 yeah. draw the distinction. Because we, words, just like anything else, don't have inherent okay. meaning. Yeah. Okay, so yes, there's a definition meaning to anger. And... Are, is that what you're saying here? That you've read the definition in a dictionary for the word anger and you're like, mm, that doesn't fit? Or are you operating under some presupposition of the meaning of anger versus the no, it's meaning totally of No, it's totally presupposition. Okay, because that could just <laughs> totally be Totally my interpretation of what's happened. Right. Yeah, very well it could be. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me if it was. Just in right. comparing what I know without really um, consciously going in and defining the words. When I compare fear and anger, it feels like one of either of those two. It doesn't feel like anger. It doesn't feel like fear and anger. But I'd have to look up the definition and, and you know, dictate exactly which one fits, fits the experience the most. Right. Well, and then, right and now. then it's really, even at that point, like, let's say you, even if you explore the definitions of a dictionary, again, we're talking about what's workable and in society, like, yes, it's important to have common 
definitions and common understandings of our language so that we can clearly communicate with each other. But I'd say it's also important for you as an individual to have distinctions. So if we're drawing a distinction between frustration and anger, is it? You know, what is the distinction there for you? So the definition. Because Are you the definition? Yeah, sure. Yeah. The definition of anger is a strong feeling of annoyance, displeasure, or hostility. Now let's check out what the definition of frustration is. And that's feeling or expressing distress and annoyance especially because of inability to change or achieve something. So it, I mean, they're both kind okay, of, so there I hear, yeah, I hear a distinction of distress and annoyance. Has to do, <laughs> right. And, but one of them has a distinction of not being able to change it. Does that mean not being or, able to change your feeling uh, or not being able to change something. the situation? The, the situation okay. I think is what it's referring to. So it's either okay, well, you can't change okay, so, the situation. Cir- so if you're talking about traffic, if you're talking about traffic, then is, then that would be anger because mm-hmm. you can't change traffic, right? No, no, no. That would be frustration. Frustration is the inability to change or achieve something. Oh, so I can't change traffic first? and I can't achieve a faster speed. That would be frustration. Okay. Anger okay, is I, that I heard... without the qualification of changing or creating something. Okay. I heard it the other way around. I, I thought the first thing you read was frustration and the second thing was anger. Clearly I wasn't paying attention. <laughs> okay, so frustration. <laughs> so the real is d- distinction there is anger, you can't do anything about it. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Frustration is anger, but you can't do anything about it. Anger, you could do something about the situation. Yeah. Am I reading into that right? Okay. So then that begs the okay. question what what can you do about something? Ever goes back to free choice. Well, your reaction to it, you absolutely can change because you could take a few deep breaths while you're in traffic and you can shift your experience of rush hour traffic. Couldn't you? Or are you just thus changing it from frustration to anger? (laughs) (laughs) Can't do anything about it. It's anger. So if you can meditate on every emotion or every moment of frustration and and change your experience of it, then is it even frustration? It's just anger. (laughs) Now I'm thinking I've been angry my whole life. (laughs) Here's the thing. So you have, we've drawn the distinction, right? So if you can't, and this is, and again, it's good. It's good to have clarity on the words that we use. So from now on, I'm clear. If I cannot change it, I'm frustrated. <laughs> if I can change it, well, then I'm just angry. And, and now I'm wondering, okay, well, so which one is, because again, presupposition, damn it, Gingy, presupposition is that anger is greater, that, that anger is something more intense, that anger is something more negative, um, but that's, not necessarily so. And then looking at frustration, my presuppositions and worldview up until this point was that frustration was like, eh, it's like minor anger. It's not that big a deal. 
Um, however, I almost feel like there would be a more intense experience if, if I felt there was nothing I could do to change it. Um, so I guess, uh, that's something to look at is, you know, how I've been classifying my own internal experience of anger and frustration. Um, and you need to get your internet fixed is what you need to do. So Dude, I know it. I just uh, did a little soft reboot, so we'll see. Okay. Um, so uh, where I went with this uh, before you, or after you were cut off, um, was looking at like my presuppositions around those words, right? Frustration and anger. Up until now, I've always like categorized anger as like, oh, well, that's, that's bad. Frustration's okay. But then I'm thinking based on the distinction we <laughs> right. just drew based on language, I'm like, well, I feel like I would have a more intense feeling if my experience was I couldn't do anything about it. So now I've like, for me personally, <laughs> anger and frustration have switched places. Now frustration's bad because because there's also that experience <laughs> yeah, of I right. can't do anything about it. Whereas anger, eh, anger's not that bad because at least I can do something about it. At least I can do something, you know, to change right. what I'm experiencing. So, or, or am I mixing those up again? Right? Frustration was you can't do nothing nope, about it. you got it right. It. Okay. Right. Just want to make sure. Create clarity here. Um, okay. So, <laughs> that's interesting. And then again, this, so the point this, that I was trying to go to with that is is going back again to free will. Because if I'm getting pissed off or angry about something, and I'm like, okay, well, you know, some people don't experience certain emotions. Like this guy's distinction uh, about anger and, uh, actually, really, I can't even put it on him. He just asked, is it more anger or is it more frustration? I was like, ah, sounds like frustration, without looking at definitions, without addressing my presuppositions. So there are, I mean, even, okay, this throws the whole thing off now that I know the definitions of these words. I was going to say <laughs> that knowing or believing that I didn't have any real experiences of anger and majority of it had all been frustration, which may or may not be true <laughs> at this point <laughs> in the conversation, uh, then where's the free will aspect of which emotions I choose to experience and which ones I don't. When did I intentionally choose loneliness or sadness or happiness or joy or euphoria or, you know, you know what I mean? Like where's the responsibility? Right. And are you ever without it? So I, it's, it's actually, it's difficult for me to really accept that you're a victim of your experience. Just from my personal experience, um, I know that through work that I do and just through framing, being mindful of how I'm experiencing something or the reaction, the immediate reaction that I'm having, how I can shift into a different place completely around something. Um, and depending on, you know, the nature of the circumstances or conditions or what's being said or anything else. I do it daily, it feels like. Absolutely. I mean, I'd say that's, that's a mindfulness 
conversation. I think that's really why it's such a big thing in uh, in our culture, even in business now. Mm. The the mindful leader and the mindful company and the mindful executives. You know what I mean? There's mindfulness is they're full I mean, of it's, mind. Oh my god, it's it's as a big a fad as anything, you know, and it's huge in yeah. every aspect of our culture and society right now. And I think what's another word good for that? reason. Presence. And mindfulness. <laughs> Presence. Yeah. Being present. Um, <laughs> and, and being present to your experience, right? And being present to the meaning you create around anything. Because at the root of the experience is some meaning. Now, again, there are certain things that we can, you know, like being slapped in the face or like where there's actual physical uh, experience. You know, you can... I don't say I don't necessarily want to say you're a victim to those experiences, but you can you can absolutely say, well, I didn't slap myself, <laughs> right? So, but <laughs> so you're so you you you're not necessarily responsible for the and and I'm gonna I'm gonna be real precision with this, real precise. You're you're not accountable or responsible for the physical experience itself, meaning the tingling in your cheek or whatever that you're not necessarily accountable for in the sense of you being responsible in, in action wise for your conscious, right? Your, your, where your focused attention physically affects your body. For instance, you can physically focus on your breathing and you can control that. You could physically open or close your eyes, and so you could control what you see and what you don't see. Um, so, and you can open your mouth, and you could close your mouth, and you can, you know, put food in your mouth. So, taste. So, there's a, many aspects that, through conscious intention, you are physically responsible for. But then, like the actual tingling in the cheek. And now, I'm not saying that through some level of mindfulness, you couldn't adjust the way your physical body reacts to something because clearly that there's evidence that seems to support that like you know people walking on hot coals and you know things like that where it's it's as if they've achieved a state of mind that allows them to overcome a certain physical reaction like i i saw um what's his name david blaine on joe rogan the other day and, uh, and he, <laughs> no dude, shit. he drank like 180 ounces of water within like an hour and, uh, and then th- threw a frog down his throat and then, you know, spit up the frog. I'm like, okay, for most people, as soon as you put the frog in, it ain't going down. You know, you may get it a little bit down, but then your body's <laughs> immediately going to, you know, shoot it out. Um, whereas through certain practices, certain states of mind, like he was able to at least get the frog down, right? Um, so there, there are different ways that we can through, you know, uh, strengthening our mind and through conditioning our bodies to do things that are out of the ordinary. Um, however, uh, the, that's where I would, I would draw the line is that like, yes, the physical reaction, the actual physical feelings from someone else's actions, you may be able to divide your personal responsibility and accountability. 
And, uh, and I think that has to do, I think that speaks perfectly into how culture has, how our culture has incorporated free will, because it says that if somebody's actions upon you harm you, right? And the way they define harm is not the way, you know, popular culture is defining harm these days because harm is, well, I got my feelings hurt. I'm harmed. Eh, In law, it don't work that way, right? (laughs) And hopefully it stays that way. But in law, just because you got your feelings hurt, so what? You know, we're not, nobody's being convicted of a crime because you got your feelings hurt. However, if they burned your house down or they stole your car or they physically hurt you, well, then that's a crime because their actions have really, if we look at it, have violated your free will because I can willingly give my car to someone and that's not against the law for them to take it because I willingly gave it to them. But if they take it and that's against my intentions, my free will, then it's a crime. So it's like, and, and so if we accept that free will is a thing, which I, I feel like we have to at this point, if we want a functional society, <laughs> like you got, you have to Let me add to one say, thing to what you were saying. Okay. Because you, you were talking into free will and it's kind of the, the line of physicality. So you couldn't necessarily be accountable or responsible for someone striking you because you didn't hit your own face. But how you feel about it, the story you write up about it, the the experience that you continue living on with, absolutely. But I, I, w- I wanted to ask you that in that distinction, and I, I know I kind of butchered it, it's not exactly how you said it, but my question for you is, does that line of choice or responsibility, does that go away at that line, at that level? Or does it become more of a choice? And, and what I'm getting at is... What do you mean more of a choice? Um, could, you choose, could you choose responsibility over that moment versus mm. it being blatantly, obviously so? <laughs> I, I'd say in the sense of your, of your mindset, meaning I feel that right. it is much more empowering for an individual to be accountable and responsible. Because if you choose in your mindset to never be a victim, well, then you're always in a place of power. You're always in a place of making a choice. You're always in a power of changing something. Whereas if if you're in the mindset that you're the victim of everything, you know, of your feelings being hurt, of the reactions you have, of the nature of your relationships, right? If you're the victim in all of that, well, then you have absolutely no power to do anything about it, Nothing right? You because can do about you've, it. you've given your power to everybody else, right? So nothing like now in the place of victim, you have to convince the entire world to change. Good luck with that. <laughs> that ain't going to happen. Try to get so one I would person even to change. assert. Try to get one person to change. I'd be impressed. <laughs> yeah, I, I would even assert that that is the true nature 
of responsibility is not right. that it's inherent, but that it is choice along the entire way. You know, proof of this is how many people don't choose responsibility, <laughs> whether or not the cause and, and actions that come after whatever has gone on, whatever event has transpired may point directly towards them as the source. They could say, no, 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 keep going upstream. It was that guy that did the thing to me, which had me do this thing, which is uh, his fault now. Ah, and that's interesting because <laughs> that, that has, and that has crept into our culture. Um, in fact, yeah, you see it time. with sexual predators, right? So it's almost like there's this, and, and I feel like this is a dangerous slope that our, our culture is currently sliding down where there's, yeah. there's actual psychologists and things coming out and saying that like, look, there's nothing wrong with pedophilia. They just identify as a 13-year-old. That's their, their sexual preference, and that's their mindset. They have the mindset of a 12-year-old. And, th- and then, not only that, they're not even responsible for that mindset because they were sexually abused as a child. And so it's not even on them, the sexual abuse that they're performing. Like, to me, this is a really dangerous hope and not functional or workable within our society. You know what I mean? Because now it's just, oh, yeah, let's just... Anyone who wants to have sex with kids, yeah, go for it. Like, how does that sound like a yeah, good idea? There's a, there's a lot of stuff universe we could get into that. that does that make sense? And but that's the problem. That's this the the victimness, right? Because there's, I, I would say, there's many. I mean, we could take this in so many different places, but we, I'd say the two main points to make here is that the one that if someone says they are a certain mindset like, oh, well, I feel like I'm a 13-year-old. Okay, but that's not the reality. The reality is you're 49 years old. I don't care if you say you feel like you're 13. Like, where do you draw the line? Like, there is physical Well, the reality reality. is someone else is holding responsibility for the (laughs) 13-year-old. Right, and and then again, and then, uh, and only in uh, in the materialistic... Um, mechanistic worldview, can this be uh, forgiven or not even forgiven, but uh, accepted is that, well, this person's a victim. You know what? Like, so you can't hold them responsible or accountable because then what's, that only works in the mechanistic worldview because what you're saying is, is that their brain, their mind and their consciousness is pure. Purely the effects of chemical reactions. And because they were abused as a child, certain chemical reactions occur in their head in certain situations and therefore can't be held accountable. But then you have to take that all the way and you have to say, well, then nobody is. Nobody is. Nobody's accountable. Nobody's responsible, right? That, that's the logical conclusion to that. So like I said, I don't feel that this is a workable principle or philosophy for us to operate under as a society <laughs> that like, like, I again, think it's important to take into for, account physical reality. Yeah. I mean, and we don't go, we don't, we don't go full steam on, on anything. In this not, not like that. Like the, right. you know, I, this is something we were talking, you and I were talking about years ago when, when the pro-life stuff was going on in real heavy, you know, it, it was, abundantly clear to me that none of those people were pro-life they were pro-fetuses 
<laughs> they didn't care about the death penalty. They didn't care about factory farming. They didn't care about quality of life in prison systems or in, in poor, you know, parts of the nation and stuff. It was a specific type of life. And so in this right. way, they're like, well, let's do the same thing. It is important to analyze what I would call contributing factors <laughs> and say, oh, this person has chose to lean on the influence of their environment or their conditioning or of their illness and chemical imbalance or whatever it may be. But there's still an aspect of responsibility that they can choose or not choose. And if we hold right. people responsible and also acknowledge the contributing factors, we we reach this really magical middle ground where mm. they can be responsible and we can also start working towards less contributing things that may lead down the same path for other people. Right. But when and you go you all say- or nothing on either one, <laughs> it's really a little sticky. Right. And I'd say that you can apply that, especially like if you look at um, drug, drug use, right? How drug use is criminalized. And a better way of approaching that as a society. (laughs) Well, yeah. You know, the ones that you go to jail for. Um, So I I, I (laughs) would say, I could say, yeah. So, um, So it's been criminalized, right? The use of many drugs is criminalized. However, if we're talking about addiction, right, and we're talking about um, addiction to the point of negatively affecting a person's health and well-being, um, both physically and mentally, and affecting the health and well-being of people around them, is this a criminal issue, or should it be addressed as a criminal issue, or should it be addressed as a medical issue, as a psychological issue? Or psychological, yeah. Right, because again, I don't, I don't feel like we should take away responsibility. Like, yeah, they may have had it really bad, and that's some people's way of coping with their negative experiences is drug use. I get that. Okay, so yes, maybe criminalizing it isn't the best way of approaching that. But it's not depends but, on the result that you're looking. But saying for. they're not, but but also right. saying they're not accountable or responsible is not effective. You know, you say, yes, you are absolutely accountable and responsible because think about this. How much better will their recovery be if you give, if you give them the power of you are accountable, you are responsible. It's not because of the things that have happened to you that you do drugs. You have free will. You make the choice to do drugs. And now, because I acknowledge I have, I make the choice to do drugs, well, then I also acknowledge that I have the power, regardless of my past, to not do drugs. So I, I feel like that's a mo- much more powerful approach than justifying mm-hmm. someone's actions as, oh, well, they had it bad. <laughs> yeah, well, show me one person who doesn't <laughs> think they had it bad. Yes, there are different degrees of bad. And some people have had some pretty shitty things happen to them that I wouldn't want happening to me, but not the, there are very few people out there in the world who go like, fuck, my life has been so awesome. It's awesome every day. Every day has been awesome. It's just not like that. Like people, <laughs> it's relative. You know, we all have a roller coaster right. in our lives. Absolutely. And at some point we felt cheated. We felt, you know, that 
you know, we're not getting a, a fair deal in the world and that we're being, that this unfair world is, has, has harmed us and, and damaged us. Like everyone has an experience like that, at least one, probably a lot more. Let me address these questions that are coming in. Uh, can we yeah, say mind delusion is can, killing it, man. I'm stoked he's on. Yeah. Uh, can we say you can have free will if you are acting consciously and you do not have free will once your actions are performed unconsciously? Okay, so here's a distinction. Free will, right, in the, in, in the sense of mindfulness, because that's really, that's how I read that first statement is, is there's a, there's a, there's a sense of mindfulness, right, in the action. And therefore, mm-hmm. it's free will. And then there's absent mindedness, right? A lack of presence, which that's like being on automatic pilot, which is like, you know, 99.9% of the world, 99.9% of the time. You know, we're not all yogis and gurus walking around elevated in our (laughs) mindfulness. You know, um, we have moments of it. And when we're clear and choose it on a regular basis and build it in as a habit, then we're intentional. However, I don't know if you can excuse that if you're an automatic, that it's not free will. It's just, I would say at that point, part of your free will is not being present to how you're acting and and interpreting and expressing things in the world. Free will is still at play. You're just choosing out of your own free will to not acknowledge the responsibility in something. Right, right. Yeah. Just like, says, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's like when you build embodied habits and patterns in your life. Like mm-hmm. I could choose to drill in the idea of responsibility and see responsibility in everything in the world. I'm like, oh, look at that fist fight in Portugal. I'm responsible. Oh, look at the wars going on in this part of the world. I'm responsible. I could choose to, to get that so ingrained and so embodied that it's my automatic go to so that even when I'm asleep, my dreams are in responsibility, right? <laughs> like totally right. in per, permeated my unconscious. And right. so would that mean that my unconscious is not an act of free will? If I've intentionally built in my automatics, the way that I chose through free will, you see what I'm saying? Okay. Yes. And I feel like this is also addressing um, mind delusion mind illusions question in that so that yes we because we are at some level responsible for our whether you want to call it subconscious unconscious super conscious that that part of our consciousness that's outside of our focused attention right our 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 waking conscious mm-hmm. so and through floodlight. our actions through our habits right the floodlight versus this the the spotlight and through our actions, and through our experiences, and through our beliefs, we shape that subconscious to the point where it's, again, it's just really what all we've created is an automation, because we can change it. Just like if I automatically reach for alcohol when I'm feeling uneasy, right? And that's how I cope with my sense and feeling of dis-ease or uncomfortability is alcohol, right? So it's been ingrained. It's automatic. I don't even think about it at a certain point. It's just like every day, 
every day, certain times of the day, I'm grabbing alcohol because at a certain point, the alcohol wears off and I'm going to feel uncomfortable. And so, I'm, <laughs> so I've got this regular pattern within my life <laughs> and I don't have to think about it. It's just always there, yeah. always there, always there. And so I'm not being present to it. I'm not being conscious of it, but, and I could say that that's in the subconscious. And at that point, it's like just chemical reactions happening in the brain. Dopamine gets low, stimulates the desire, and I reach for a beer or whatever, right? So that, in some sense, you could say that's, I would say that's autopilot, but not outside the realm of personal responsibility or free will. That it's just a lack of yeah. mindfulness to your free will and a lack of consciousness to your, <laughs> this is going to sound funny, a lack of consciousness to your subconscious. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say awareness before consciousness yes. and subconsciousness. Okay. Okay. So you're, yes, the, the, the habits and the patterns that you've built in are, are there. However, they are malleable. They're not set in stone. And that's, that's been shown. I keep People thinking of uh, Michael Jordan. I just watched his, <clears throat> there's that, uh, that, that TV show that's come out, and I forget what channel it's on, probably ESPN or something like that, um, where it's all about the Chicago Bulls and their their whole path, you know, since Michael Jordan was in college all the way through to him retiring. And right. it, in watching that whole thing, the dude custom-built and created his physical body, his routine, his drive, and you now even his, like, his sharpness that he kept mm -hmm. so active his his sense of like competitiveness he carried everywhere and then you know all this stuff happened he chose to quit and go the route of baseball and he had to completely <laughs> yeah. remake the way that his body was you know was athletic and his Bad sense choice. of drive and everything <laughs> to refocus it back into to to baseball and then he said i want to go back to basketball <laughs> and it took a whole nother long period of time for him to readjust himself back to the point where he can go totally unconscious, where he doesn't remember what happens during a game. All he knows is ball in hoop. And, well, and that's, to the point and that's where, actually, uh, what do they call it? The flow state. The flow state. Right. Just well, channeling that's, that's basically what what's coming it. through. And, and I would call it kinetic intelligence. Um, because that mm -hmm. is something he exhibited at, to a, I mean, a, a masterful degree. He had a level of kinetic intelligence that his, in, at least in the world of basketball has very rarely been met, right? Like the guy, like you've seen plays in games where it's clear. He's not real clear on the intention other than ball and hoop. But like the physical apparatus of giving, getting it there, there's no way that was planned. And yet, ball and hoop. <laughs> you know, like it's, it, yeah. again, it was because of, and that's a lifetime of work that he did to get that, that kinetic is. intelligence around the sport of basketball. Now, to presume that the same kinetic intelligence that makes you a master of basketball will make you a master of baseball, probably pretty foolish. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we saw that. I mean, he did He did really good. He excelled and learned and climbed really. Like, if, if he had started there, he would have been, quote-unquote, the Michael Jordan of baseball. 
<laughs> right. He still would have been right. that guy. The fact that he put yeah. so much effort towards one sport and doubled down on it, that's why he became that level of, of competent or successful with, with mm-hmm. basketball. And that's purely him getting it as embodied as possible. So you can get the mind out of the way. Get the I'm not even going to say mind. I'm going to say brain. When you get the thought process out of the way so that something else can take over, that's still choice. That's still free will. That's still having the intent behind it. Okay, so here in Portugal, it's not a crime. Wait, wait, wait. What's the one right before that one? Yeah, yeah, right before that. Okay, so polygraphs. Plus interrogations use a lot of techniques. Can you hear me through the microphone? I realize I'm looking away from the microphone. Um, Polygraphs plus interrogations. You get a little quiet, but I can hear you. Okay. Use a lot of techniques to see if the person had a conscious. I'm assuming that's conscious and the C got dropped. Had a conscious or unconscious unconscious intent. intent. Right. So, and that, yep. that is, uh, and yeah, I don't know how you measure unconscious intent, but I know, especially around polygraph. So polygraph, typically there's a crime involved, well, right? I think it, um, I think it would be measuring, measuring their, their level of like, does, do the results make them happy? So-and-so got killed. Are you happy about it? You wish it was, you, you know, so like uh, if yeah, they're well, remorseful and that, Maybe, maybe not. No, 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 no. That's that. No, that's done at a different level. Trust me. Been through this. Okay. Okay. So um, at the (laughs) level of polygraph, right? They're trying to establish intent because intent establishes the, uh, whether it's a crime or not. Like you've heard the distinction between murder and manslaughter, right? The the difference is the only difference is intent. Like if, if you're driving drunk, right? You're not actually out there like, oh, I'm going to kill some people. I mean, you might be, but typically the presumption is you're just drunk <laughs> and driving, right? So when you kill someone, it's not seen as, you know, uh, a, a, a murder, Purposeful. which is you intentionally took someone's life. It's seen as manslaughter, which is, look, you're responsible you know, and accountable for someone losing their life. However, because you didn't have an intent there, right? And that's and so that in a polygraph, if I can establish intent, it's a more severe crime, right? So that's why it's important to be able to even intent, premeditated to establish intent. Yeah. Now, unconscious intent. Um, I, I guess I, I don't know. I, I I don't know enough about polygraph <laughs> to know what mm-hmm. types of questions you would ask to to really determine whether it was an unconscious or a conscious intent, I could see, or you know, because you could be pretty direct validate. in your questions. Yeah, I, I mean, you could be pretty direct in your questions. Well, you know what? And this may speak into this whole, un- yeah, this unconscious thing like, uh, okay, I'm not going to get into it. That's a, that's a, that's a, a show for another time. Okay. <laughs> Here in Portugal, Portugal, is not a crime to consume, consume. but if you do and get wait, caught, wait, wait. you need the, to, uh, yeah. We got a Is response at the bottom. Read, read that one. No, measuring how you react to lying. 
is what those things are, are going for. If you know how, if you know to be true, you won't react, you won't react to, it, to, as to it as a lie. Okay. And so I guess that could mm-hmm. relate even to unconscious in that you're going to react a certain way to a question, to stimulus, right? And if deep down, even though like, because here's the thing about intention and consciousness is people can convince themselves of something that isn't true and they believe it. You know what I mean? Like, remember that person, there's no way, right? And so they can really get it into their mind that they did not commit this crime or they did not intentionally, whatever. However, at some level outside of that, spotlight consciousness, the, the, the awareness, the, the, the awake consciousness, there may be like, Oh yeah, I did it. I knew I did it. You know? And so that may be how you're measuring it is that the, the, you know, the, the, the stimulus is regardless of whether you have convinced yourself of the true or not true nature of whatever it is, the subconscious is like, dude, you know, (laughs) you know, you know, know. (laughs) this guy knows he did it. He doesn't know he yeah. wanted to do it. Right. That's something Here that's some science I would like to get into and understand. Go ahead. Unconscious. Science Just the, the, the whole polygraph thing and, and, and even oh. hypnotherapy and right. anyway, go ahead. Go ahead. I'm, I'm yeah, it's actually fascinating, especially like hypnotherapy, things like that. Um, again, the power of the mind and what it's capable of. Because we talk about, you know, the, the spotlight mm-hmm. consciousness, right? What you might pick up on in a given day. And you could try your hardest to recall as many facts about that day as you can in your, in your waking conscious. And you'll get a list of, you know, let's, let's say you're an amazing, you have amazing recall and memory. And you, you can recall 100 specific details. Well, if you're taken into a deep state of hypnosis, you could recall every single detail from every single thing happening around you throughout the entire day at any point in time. Like that's pretty incredible that you're actually recording everything, but because your spotlight consciousness only focuses on certain things at certain times. And then again, and then only uh, some of that is recallable memory. It's like, you're actually getting very little of what your mind is storing. So here in Portugal, it's not a crime right. to consume, but if you do, but if you do and get caught, you need to demonstrate intent to chance probably through treatment. Okay, this might be probably a relation to drugs. Change. So here in Portugal, it's not a crime to right. consume drugs, we'll say. But if you do and get caught, you need to demonstrate intent to change through treatments physical or psychological level. That's, I think that's an awesome approach to drug use. Dude, you know Portugal I mean? has again, been on the, the drug game for a long time. They're killing it. Like I, I remember when I was first starting to look into the, the state's war on drugs, I'm like, man, is there any other countries out there that are doing anything like worth salt? Portugal had full on rehabilitation and like, no one's going to jail and prison for their lifetimes for even just using or anything. I was like, these guys are actually treating it and going back to worldview. It's, it's the entire process, the way that they see the, you know, drug use, the way they see the relationship of a drug user with drug use, 
And the way that they respond and the outcome that they want is all tied into the worldview of it. Over here, we're like, drugs are bad. People that use drugs are bad. We're going to put bad people in with the cage with other bad people and just lock them away so they're not affecting the good people. And it's all get (laughs) pushed off down that same road. Whereas if we saw it as an illness or something to, to recover from or, you know, someone actually needed help or connection or support in some way, then we, we could address it in an entirely different way. But it starts with the space that in which we hold drugs, drug users, any, the the whole idea of the war on drugs and stuff like we're (laughs) fighting a war against some drugs. Right. Okay. Uh, next, I got to remember. I, next time, I got to put this chat screen over here next to the microphone because I'm not going to do this. Uh, <laughs> let's see. Sorry for long text, by the way. Really enjoying this conversation. Thank you. Um, and we don't mind at all. I yeah, love man, interacting. Yeah. This, this is this, this is why me and him got on to do this. Is we just love having conversations, you know, about these subjects. And, uh, and I grow from it and <laughs> I love that you're adding something to Dude. the conversation that, that is, you know, stimulating my mind and taking it in another direction. Like someone in the army. Years of conversations be- going, years of conversations going, damn, we should have recorded that. <laughs> We're finally doing it. <laughs> right. Like someone in the army, they need to be able to act. I, okay. So this is in relation to the last one, I believe. So like someone in the army, like Michael Jordan, you need to be. No, I, I believe the last, I don't know. Let me get through it. <laughs> then I'll make, then I'll make the connection in relation <laughs> to what it is. Um, like someone in the army, they need to be able to act and not be frozen with fear. They train to go into automatic mode. They rely on it. Absolutely. So, yep. and, and so here, here's yep. a distinction we haven't made. The value of habits, Right. And that because habits are automatic. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying habits are bad because, oh, there's that great quote. Can you bring up that quote? I am habit. I, I like, I, I am I, habit. I, it, yeah, it's, it's a yeah, poem. Yeah. Let me go. And, it, and it's, uh, oh God, it's a great one. Just bring it. It's like, I will, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to bring about the worst and I'm going to bring about the best. I mean, I've ruined the entire nature the of habit it right poem. now. And there's absolutely no, Surprise now, but yes, read us the habit poem. You want me to? You want me to read it? Uh, yeah. Okay. Why, why would I have you look it up for your your <laughs> personal benefit? <laughs> I was going to save it for later. Okay, so it's called the habit poem. I am your constant companion. I am your greatest helper or heaviest burden. I will push you onward or drag you down to failure. I am completely at your command. Half of the things you do, you might, you might as well turn over to me, and I will do them, quickly and correctly. I am easily managed. You must be firm with me. Show me exactly how you want something done, and after a few lessons, I will do it automatically. I am the servant of great people, and alas, of all failures as well. Mm-hmm. Those who are great, I have made great. Those who are failures, I have made failures. I am not a miracle, or sorry, I'm not a machine, though. I work with the precision of a machine, plus the intelligence of a person. 
You may run me for profit or run me for ruin. It makes no difference to me. Take me, train me, be firm with me, and I will place the world at your feet. Be easy with me, and I will destroy you. Who am I? I am habit. Mm, isn't that awesome? I love that poem. I Just, love that's that. That's awesome. Yes. So absolutely habit. That. Habit will 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 ruin you and it will make you successful. So absolutely. In the military, they build habits and they build habits that are effective for their purpose. Right? Because they can't be in that mindful state of questioning everything <laughs> when you're on the battlefield it needs to be automatic <laughs> you know like like loading and wait, unloading your run? gun can't be <laughs> like wait which way does this thing go like how do you get this thing off like you can't be stuck in thinking about how your weapon <laughs> is reloaded you know you got it's got to be pop 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 you know and it's automatic you don't think about it it just happens um so absolutely so again not saying right? That automaticness or mm-hmm. habits is bad. It's not bad. But they're a tool. And, 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 and if the question here by mind delusion is, is it free will? And I would say yes, because at any moment, you could become aware and conscious of what you're doing and stop the automaticness of it. Like for instance, you hear a shot and you turn to shoot. And if you're, you know, you do have awareness and consciousness and your mind will process things fast, really fast. And immediately you don't shoot. Now the habit ingrained in you was to turn and shoot, but then at, in a split second, you realize, oh, that's my guy, you know? And so you don't. So yes, habit is absolutely valuable. Absolutely valuable. Everyone who's successful, it has made them that way. Yet everyone who's a failure, it has made a failure. So habits are valuable. And, but at the same time, I'm There's not a, um, saying that if you're, at, if you're in the middle of acting in habit, you're not, you don't have free will. I think I, I, where I'm going with this conversation is I feel the most <laughs> effective way for us to look at free will is that we always have it. That we never, there's never a time we yeah. don't. There's, a, okay, there's an so, old saying, uh, and I'm going to butcher it, but uh, <laughs> it's in reference to habit. And it basically says, um, it's referring to somebody who's unaware of their habits, or at least not intentionally choosing and creating and building their habits. Just like as this poem right. was saying, I could be on either side of that fence. And it says, uh, <laughs> it talks about the problem. The problem isn't the habit. It's a a good servant, bad master relationship. <laughs> right. Like habit. Well, it even says that in the poem is that have, habit is a great servant, right? And mm-hmm. you determine what habits you have. So, and, and I feel like the poem is saying that and that it's like, look, you can use me for ruining your life. You can use me to create wonderful things in your life, but that, that's really up to you, the master, right? So, so yes, habit makes a great servant, right? But not being mindful of your habits 
Like, and that's, that's the ultimate victim mentality of like the, the world is happening to me, you know, and things hurt my feelings and right. Is that's the, like you, you cannot acknowledge the, the habitual nature of your, the meaning you apply to things and your interpretations of things. You, 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 there is no mindfulness around that at all. But those things are habitual. And that, again, this is that conversation of worldview. We're unaware of probably 90% of the things that make us interpret and give the meaning to things. And That's you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's, there's presuppositions <laughs> that have never been questioned. Like even in like, in, in, let's look at the entire Western world, right? We have a certain presupposition that the, function, that the foundational reality is objective. And that we, these conscious, these, these centers of consciousness are subjective and are just interpreting reality that there's, that the objective world is truth and that the subjective, the, 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 the interpreters are, are not truth, right? And our interpretations are not truth, right? What if the presupposition, what if you switch that presupposition that there is no objective reality and that all is is the function of consciousness, which I believe maybe where where panpsychism is going is that like, look, the physical reality is this function of consciousness in itself. Is that consciousness projects itself? And again, I'm not quoting. The, I I know very little about this philosophy. I heard everything's <laughs> got a everything's got consciousness, and I was like, yeah, that's awesome. And then I projected my own beliefs around consciousness onto this philosophy. So it may have nothing to do with panpsychism, but I love the word and I love the concept. And so I, I already have my own philosophies around consciousness in the, in the physical world. So for me, there is definitely something intrinsically valuable in, in, in seeing consciousness that way. And maybe even flipping the script on the nature of reality. What if what we think of as subjective is the true nature of reality and what we think is an objective world is, is purely the function of that consciousness is meaning we project reality. And so, and because with that presupposition, everything changes. I mean, the nature of your religions change, the nature of your physical sciences change. Again, I'm not saying this is what's so, but I have a feeling that that's ultimately where you would lead. If you take like phenomenology or ontology, those philosophies. I feel like if you really take those to the logical conclusion, it's got to flip the script that the fundamental reality becomes the, the subjective, the, the phenomenological, right? And see, and you then, don't even need to identify and, and make a new decision. And to me, it's enough to ask the question, what if? What if right. people and nature are not separate? What would that mean? How would that impact our beliefs and how we and how we go through the day, how we go through the world? Not to say that, oh, they're intrinsically in, and make up our mind about something else, staying open to the possibility. Because for all we know, all this comes down in 10 years and we rebuild some brand new worldview that's even better. Like, <laughs> I'm not firm and stuck on any belief that I have. But I right. find it incredibly important to stay aware of the fact that they're a belief and that they are right. subject to change. Right. Yeah. And I, and I actually do lean towards those philosophies that 
have a more holistic kind of view of the of the world and universe, um, like Zen, you know, like phenomenology, ontology. Um, this you can't really separate being from environment, right? Yeah, that's why we named the show Phenomenosophy. Right? The the <laughs> the experience, the wisdom of experience, or the experience of wisdom. Um, but it's there is that. Even in physical science, you cannot separate a, a being from its environment. They define each other. It's the yin and the yang. And again, in, in Eastern philosophy, whether yep. you're looking at Taoism or Chan or Zen, it's, it is that, that you cannot separate you know, those two things. They, they define each other. They're, they, they're a, a whole, right? And, uh, and so I do definitely, to me, again, if we're talking about what's functional and, and workable and beneficial as a worldview for a culture and a society, I feel like those are far more functional. In fact, how do you even have a green movement if you don't see that? You know, like you, there has to be an awareness, a consciousness of green how movement. important, you know, green shit, like, you know, cutting carbon dioxide and you know stop cutting down all the trees Gingy. <laughs> jesus okay um so how do you have uh, something uh, like that shit. if you if there isn't some kind of uh, presupposition of the importance of the environment to us you know and if and it's funny because i do see a disconnect there that that's not necessarily where people are coming from with it because they're like the a lot of people come from this place where well that's important we're not you know, and it's like, no, you're missing the point. We, we're essential for it. It's essential for us. You, you don't say, oh yeah, people bad, trees good. Let's get rid of all the people. Ugh. You know, that's, to me, that's, there's a fundamental <laughs> lack Dude, in and an understanding. The belief that, and it's not. Go ahead. And the belief that if you remove people from the environment, that it will thrive more so than it does. Right. And here's the thing. Let's say you got rid of, all the people, all the animals, because they're bad for plants, right? And plants, you know, they get eaten by people and animals. They get trampled by, they get burned by, they get, okay, so let's just say, okay, well, plants good, people, animals bad. Let's get rid of all the people and animals. You know what you're going to have? You're going to have the trees sitting around going, we got an oxygen problem. There's too much oxygen in the freaking atmosphere, right? Right? Because all they do is take in carbon dioxide and put out oxygen. And then at a certain point, you've got an imbalance. So we are essential for each other. You need things that breathe in oxygen, breathe out carbon dioxide. And you need things that breathe in carbon dioxide and breathe out oxygen. There's a balance there. You, will, you, you shift the balance in any way and you have a breakdown because... There is a oneness to it. Now, again, this is personal philosophy. I'm not stating right, science or anything. Okay, hold on. Let's let's see. If, let's <laughs> get through mind delusions here. Well, um, no, this goes okay. right it, in with what you just said. It's directly related. So, okay. Okay. Yeah. So last night I was t- I was hanging out with some friends, and this girl, we were talking about veganism, and she was like, "I feel like if all people went vegan, it would upset the balance." And make an unhealthy Absolutely. environment, unhealthy um, planet, basically. She's like, we, we need to eat meat. I was like, I had never thought of that. In my mind, if everybody went vegan, we would just grow more plants and you know, raise less animals. 
<laughs> like they're just going to switch flip flop a little bit because it's not like we're just going out into nature and plucking what we need. We're right. factory farming, which we know right. vegetable and like soy and corn and all these other vegetable factory farming is just as bad as cows oh, and worse. pigs and yeah. poultry and all that stuff. Yeah. So I'm going to add to think? that. Would it tip a, the a scale comma, on that? Absolutely. And here's, here's, I want, and I'm going to illustrate it with a point of ridiculousness that this was a real thing <laughs> that a real person said. Uh, it was a woman and she made the statement that what we need to do is we need to take all the carnivorous animals and isolate them so that they can't eat other animals because that's cruel. This is real. She really said this. And, and then just start feeding okay. them vegetables. What's the purpose? Does that sound... To stop them from being cruel, to stop them from killing other animals, we need to isolate all oh, the carnivores. Oh, to make them nice. Yes, to make them nice. To make them... Because, you know, killing's bad. And here you go. This is a presupposition. Is killing bad? Is death bad? Because... We operate under a presupposition that it is. What if, you don't know, what if when you die, that's the best thing you ever You don't know. So, (laughs) exactly. You don't know. So, that may be the best thing you ever experienced. So, to presume, and again, we don't question this presupposition. It is ingrained in our worldview that death bad. And it's so bad in this girl's case that she thinks carnivorous animals eating other animals is bad. Now think about if we followed her prescription for making the world nice, nice, what would the result be? It would be horrendous. Well, assuming, like, assuming that the, the animals would change their mind and stop <laughs> killing. Start eating vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> That's the first place my mind goes to. I'm like, okay, what makes you think you can make an animal with really no left brain frontal lobe overactivity like we've got. You're like, oh, you know what? Chickens are cool. I'm going to stop, you know, sneaking into the, the hen house and no, 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 no. give them a no. fog. I'm going to stop sneaking in there she, and killing all these. Yeah, no, she was smart enough to prescribe. Like, we weren't going to try to convince them. It wasn't like we were going to perform some kind of animal psychology on lines and go, well, you know, how do you feel about that? You're responsible for the death of that, you know, gazelle. Don't you feel bad about that? Don't you realize that that gazelle isn't going to, you know, his, it's that gazelle's children have now don't have a mother. That's just manipulation. Don't you feel, imagine if your child didn't have a mother, you know what I mean? Like you're not going to perform some kind of crazy psychology on the animal and convince it not to kill. No, her prescription was lock them up, training, lock them right? up and feed. No, lock them up, feed them vegetables. That was her prescription. Oh, like Locking they're not going to change their minds or their actions or anything at all. No, they're not going to change their minds. You just don't the give them the choice. So they can't do it. Yep. Exactly. You just take away that option. <laughs> so then that would remove all the killing on the planet? It would remove all the killing of animals. <laughs> Supposedly. <laughs> I'm like, I'm you trying know, to follow like, the I logic. Mean, in reality, Good luck you locking gotta... all the people up. Yeah. And then it's like, and then it's like, okay, now you're running out of things that kill things, right? And it's like, okay, so again, if the presupposition is death is bad. 
okay, so the world being overrun by the population of animals, the population of insects, the population of human beings, like if death is bad and we, let's say we come to a point where it's like, oh, we figured out how to stop it. No more death. Yeah, that's going to lead to serious issues. I can already see it. (laughs) Now you have exploding populations of animals, insects, everything, and that can't be good for the balance of the planet itself. So Dude, again, even it's funny if they were human- to extend the lifespan of mosquitoes by a day, my life would be over. <laughs> Absolutely. Mine too. It's uh, not a world mosquito- I want to oh, live yeah. on. <laughs> yeah. And you're in, and you're in uh, the hot, wet parts of Texas. God, that must be horrible. How's mosquitoes this time of year? Uh, Jurassic. That's all I got to say about <laughs> Jurassic, <laughs> like they like they'll pick you up. Feels like you get hit with a paintball away. gun, dude. Oh yeah, my god! Yeah, I forget all that noise. I I can't do I can't do mosquitoes. All right, they're let's, large let's enough to have it hurt when they stick their needle in your skin, like someone just shot you with a paintball gun. I bet. Oh, I bet. And then you've got a welt. I will not be here forever. Yeah, yeah. no, it's uh, <laughs> the worst. The worst I've ever experienced was uh, Chicago, like outside Chicago in Illinois. Oh, dude, Man, that's even worse. I don't know what it is. Honestly, about I'd rather be in Texas than Chicago. Dude, I, again, I don't know what it is about their mosquitoes particularly, but for one, they swarm. There's me. just more. Like I'm in a I'm in a group of forty yeah. people, and they're all over me. So clearly, whatever it is about me. They love and they, but every bite, and I mean, every bite swelled up and itched like crazy, but they didn't go away for like two to three weeks. Like this wasn't like something that itches for a couple days or even a week. It was weeks. Oh my God. Yeah. That's Texas. Forget forget Chicago. Chicago. Too much water. Too much. (laughs) Anyway. Okay, Back measuring how you react hand. to lying. If you know true, you won't react to this lie. Okay, we, I think feel like we've addressed that. Just some additional info on Portugal. Dude, that's cool about Portugal. Have, ah, life sentences. They also don't have life sentences. The maximum sentence for any crime is 25 years. Again, reasonable. You know what I mean? Like That's awesome. I, yeah, 25 years. Like I If mean, you come out, you're, you're a repeat offender, you're going to go back in for another 25. Another 25. Makes yeah. sense. Uh, I think that's reasonable. Like, and especially imagine, and, and imagine again, the resignation and apathy in the mind of someone with a life sentence. Oh, dude. Yeah, I'm sure some crazy <laughs> ass shit happens with people with multiple life sentences, all serving sentences together, right? They're all together in this place where none of yeah. them give up. That none of them care. They're all up for whatever. Yeah, that's probably a pretty chaotic place where nobody gives a damn because it's like, what? <laughs> You're going to give me more. You're going to give me more than 160 years. Like I ain't got nothing. Give me another life sentence. Yeah. Another <laughs> one on top of the four I already got. Go for it. Right. Um, and then uh, discipline is a form of habit. I could say a conscious habit. Is Absolutely. It? I would like to talk fact, about that. Okay. Discipline. Discipline. I feel like is what forms the habit. But is it in itself yes. a habit? I would say it Explain. takes discipline to form a habit. 
which is, I think, what you just said. Yeah, that's what I said. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yes, I would say it, it takes discipline to form a habit. It takes discipline to break a habit, right? Like, if you've got a habit, mm-hmm. like smoking, right, and you, and you don't want to smoke anymore, it takes discipline because the craving will come up the physical unease in your body will come up to the point where it's like, well, fuck the easiest way for me to deal with this is a cigarette right now. Right. And so you, that takes discipline to say, no, you know, I'm not, or if again, with alcoholism, um, if alcohol is how you typically deal with something in those moments where, yeah, it'd be sure would be great right now to have some alcohol. It takes discipline to break that habit, that automaticness that you've built into yourself. But yes, absolutely. I, I would say they definitely go hand in hand. Whether you're forming habits or definitely. breaking habits, discipline is an absolute. Or I, I should say... But uh, is discipline a habit? I think you could get in the habit hear, hear of making sa- habits. Hear what he says. He says a conscious <laughs> habit. So again, so again, let's look at the words here. He says a conscious habit. So... Let's define because he may, his understanding of what conscious is, right? That may be what we're talking about here in his definitions of conscious habit, right? So those, so we're modifying the word habit with the word conscious. Okay. So it's not just your typical run of the mill habit. It's a conscious habit. So now we have to take what is the meaning because we've now, we've, we've altered the meaning of habit. We've modified it with the word conscious, right? So conscious habit We're making is, a distinction, conscious and unconscious. Right, which we could look at as that we could apply the meaning of intentional. It is, I was intentional about this habit, therefore, I, there was... Or at least that's aware that it was that, happening. Right, or, or, or intentional of it. You know, like, I, I would say it's even more intentional right. than aware, because you may be aware of your, you know your silliness and clear that it's taking you in a direction that's probably not good for you, but it doesn't mean that you're intentional about going where you're heading, you know, like, yeah, yeah. I well, can't let's take that example of alcoholism. Right. Let's take that example of alcoholism. I'm, I'm majority of people that drink every day have heard somewhere in their life that people get addicted to alcohol and there's such a thing right. called alcoholism. And they go through there knowing, okay, if I drink every day, I might form a dependency. I might create this into a habit. I'm going to do it anyway. I want to do it. And they push through it anyway. So in my mind, that would still be creating a habit consciously, but not necessarily intentionally. Almost like I'll take the side effects with the, with the pill. You know what I mean? Right. Right. Or uh, a, uh, a bit of delusion. Like, well, you know, that's weaker people. I can quit whenever I want. I mean, I've heard that. I've heard that denial, right? So we know that that's a thing that we as human (laughs) beings, yeah. Oh, I'm not addicted. I can stop whenever I want. Well, watch. I'll not have one right now, you know. Um, And then, you know, 10 minutes later, you've got one. And they're (laughs) like, wait, I thought you said, yeah, but I want one right now. It's not because I'm addicted. It's because I'm choosing right now in this moment to have it one. Like I don't have idea. to have one. Right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I think we've, uh, where are we at? Yeah. I think we've taken this subject. So I would say in conclusion for me, 
whether you hold a worldview, yeah, whether you hold a worldview that says, yes, we have free will, or you hold a worldview that says, no, you're just a, the result, your mind, your consciousness is just the result of chemical reactions. And therefore you're, you're really, everything you do is predestined based on this, the series of chemical reactions that your brain is going to go through within your life. And so that's, that's the nature of you. There is no free will. So I like to look at worldview from a standpoint of, okay, well, what's functional and what's workable as a society? Like you can hold that personally. And if you're going to live in a cave by yourself, who cares? Go for it. Believe in free will. Don't believe in free will. But I believe as a culture, as a society, what's functional in, in worldview with regards to free will is that we must, that accepting that there is free will allows us to not only hold each other accountable and responsible for the actions that we do, um, which I believe that there's been some signs that we're heading down this path that, that that's not going to be the case, that people will not be held responsible or even to the, and even maybe now people are not being held accountable or responsible because of these factors, right? Chemical reactions in the brain. I don't believe that's functional. I believe what's functional is to say, yes, we do have free will. And yes, we are accountable. And I believe it's the best thing for human beings to take on for themselves. Even if it's just your, let's say the rest of the world says, nope, none of us have free will. We're all automatons. We're all robots. And, you know, I say, I would say for the individual, it is much more empowering in your life to stand in a place and to have that presupposition that I have free will because I now am empowered to shift and change and transform and transcend obstacles, challenges, circumstances, and conditions. I have, a, I have personal power. And I believe that that's a place that is the most effective for the individual and the most effective for us as a society. And I'm done. What do you got? Word. Um, there's one aspect of free choice, free will that we didn't go over, which I think is incredibly important because in my own understanding of free will, it's not easily defined until you define who it is that is holding the free. Who is it is the one with the free. So I would assert that any individual could take responsibility for anything. The responsibility is a choice. That's something we discussed in here. And I would also assert that nobody else is thinking your thoughts, beating your heart, growing your hair. Nobody else is doing those things. So there is an element of you are living because you choose to. No one else has control over that right now. So free will, I believe, is a fundamental aspect of the human experience on the planet. But to understand who it is that is at choice and to what extent, I think begs deeper investigation, at least more so than we've done on, on this call. Okay. So, so you're saying even after two hours, we will need a continuation of this conversation at some point. 
We'll need a whole conversation about Are you what saying self is that in two hours where we could free will do it? <laughs> I I agree. I and I I believe that this is uh this is actually a much bigger topic than I first believed when I chose the question. It's just interconnected, um, really. Yeah, there's so many there's yeah, you can't separate it from most every aspect of life. So Thank you very much for joining me today, Gingy. Thank you very much, uh, Mind Illusion. Um, you were a great contribution to today's call. I really value that. Um, hope to see you on here again sometime soon. And uh, good long and prosper. See y'all later. <laughs> Peace out.